0: Thank you, brother. Thank you for those that serve with you and those that help take up the offering and service in so many capacities. We are so grateful for you each and every Sunday. If you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn it open and join me in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. And as you are turning there, if you came in, you got one of these bulletins on the back of that. There will be some notes. That will guide us during our time together in the Word. So Exodus chapter 19 is where we're going to be at. We have been walking through um, the book of Exodus and looking how God sets his people apart here in the historical setting of Exodus. And then looking at how that then applies to us in principle and practice today on how God sets us apart as his people today. But to kind of set the stage of where we're going to be at in Exodus 19, let me give you two different pictures to maybe paint the picture of where we're going to be at in Exodus 19. Several, for several years, um, my family and I and some other people from the church had an opportunity to go down with a ministry called Like Elijah Ministries. And for several years during the Christmas time, between Christmas and New Year's, they would do a big Christmas outreach celebration down along the border of Texas and Mexico. So primarily, we were in Rio Bravo, Mexico, and they would always put a big celebration together and uh, a big uh, feed, have uh, raffle drawings, have outdoor preaching, have gift bags, all that stuff to try to reach the Spanish-speaking people there along the border with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every year, um, they would be people from... From multiple different states would then converge there in Donna, Texas and for three or four days we would get supplies ready take them over the border have the event come back put the supplies back all that stuff that is associated with that kind of an event But when we would show up, there may be as many as 100 to 150 workers show up from numerous states and numerous churches coming down to help out with this event. So the question was, is where do you house 150 people in Donna, Texas? And so one of the options that was available was that they had a school. And in that school, there were classrooms like you can imagine in a school. And uh, they would have people that would sleep in these classrooms in this school. And in this school... There were classrooms and there was a bathroom. And that bathroom had one shower, two stools, two sinks. Now, why I found this to be so fascinating was, is during this time, they may have anywhere from 50 to 75 women that would all be staying at this school, all using that one bathroom. Now, for us guys, it doesn't matter. That's fine. We don't see a big deal with it. But for the ladies, it was a logistical challenge. And so the ladies had told me after the first year, they had told me that they start, whether it is before they go to bed or after they go to bed around midnight, they start on a shower schedule. And so, th- th- let me just use for an example. So, for example, at 11 o'clock, um, Ann goes in there and she takes a shower. When she gets done taking a shower, she leaves and she goes and gets Sue and wakes Sue up. And Sue goes in there and takes a shower. When Sue is done taking her shower, she goes wakes up Julie. And then when Julie's done, she goes wakes up Betty. And then Betty go, wakes up Sally. And all throughout the night, these ladies are getting up from sleep to go in and take a shower just to go back in and go back to sleep. Now let me contrast that picture (coughs) with a different picture. For a season, Tucker and I worked on the same rig, the same shift together. And for a season, our rig was out of town. And so um, because it was up in Jay, Oklahoma, and our grandparents lived within driving distance, we stayed at our grandparents' house. And we stayed upstairs in a bunkhouse at my grandparents'. And so um, the morning time would come. We'd be needing to go to work to work our 12-hour shift on the rig. And this is the way it worked out with Tucker and I. The alarm would go off. I would get out of bed first, I would put on a pair of shorts and a shirt and some flip-flops and I would go down from the upstairs and I would make my way into the bathroom. When I got in the bathroom I would brush my teeth and then immediately I would leave the bathroom, I would head outside, head to the garage, grab two Usually cupcakes, those Spruckelmeier cupcakes. They settle out of the gas station, grab two cupcakes and two Mountain Dews, and I would get in the truck and I would wait in the truck. Within seconds of me getting out of bed, Tucker, almost like we had choreographed this, Tucker would then be following me. And as I was leaving the bathroom, Tucker is walking into the bathroom, and as he is walking out, he's shutting the lights off behind him. And I don't seem, I don't think I'm exaggerating, but less than five minutes from the time that I got out of bed we would be leaving the driveway. Now, some of you guys can relate. Some of you guys can relate that we do not need very much time. What I'm trying to get to is, is that we all have a different way of getting ready for the day. We all have a different way of getting ready for what lies in front of us. And many times we get ready differently depending on the event or depending on what we have to do. So these ladies are down there in in, in South Texas and they're getting ready for the day's activities of ministering to the Spanish-speaking people. And they are willing to interrupt their sleep time to just simply take a shower. And then you have people like Tucker and I that we do not need any time. We don't want any time. Give me the shortest amount of time. Let me get out of bed and let me go to work and I'll figure out the rest on my way. Some of you this morning, Sunday school starts at 945. You Let's say you have to leave your house at 930 to get to church on time. Some of you say, I can wake up at 920 and still be okay. Some of you say, oh no, I need to get up and I need to have time to drink at least two cups of coffee and I need to have time to take a shower and I need to have time to wash my hair and I need to have time to do this and I need to have time to do that. And so some of you, to leave at 9.30, you have to get up at 6.30. Bless your heart. (laughs) But in this room, we all have different ways of getting ready. So when you get to Exodus chapter 19, God is getting the people ready to meet God. So when we come into Exodus chapter 19, we are seeing God show a people. And as I told you before, when we come to this book of Exodus, not only is God revealing himself to his people and to us today, but then God is revealing us to ourselves. He's revealing how he sees us. So God is revealing himself to us. God is revealing us to us, and God is showing us how we are to live in light of who he is over us. So here in Exodus 19... God is bringing his people and he is getting them ready and what we are going to do this morning is we are going to peer into the story as Moses is recording it of God's people and we want to see how God is getting them ready, how they are getting ready for this big event that we're going to see in the next week or the two weeks, this big event that culminates with the people not just seeing the face of God because they don't see the physical face of God but they see the presence of God. They feel the presence of God. They understand and they recognize that they are in the presence of the Almighty. And there's a way that God gets them ready and there's a way that they get ready. And here's the central question that I'm driving to this morning. And you see this at the top of your notes. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? Unfortunately, I would think that there are many of us in this room that have a very small view Of God, And when you have a very small view of God, you have a very large view of yourself. And so when you hear that kind of question, you're like, well, of course I'm ready to meet God. Who is it? Oh, God's nothing special. And we miss that picture of who God is. So when we sing songs like Magnify the Lord Together, so often we struggle in the church today to have a right view of God. And far too often, too many of us We default to a small view of God. So, excuse me, what God is wanting to do in this text is He wants to get them ready to meet God. So, you start there in Exodus chapter 19, and verse 1 and verse 2 kind of gives us a little bit of an explanation of what is going on. It says on the third new moon, so this is about three months, give or take, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidium and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. Now, what is he telling us? Well, if you think back to Exodus chapter or Exodus chapter 17, when they had the water from the rock, that's what we looked at last week, they are there at Rephidium. That's where they didn't have water. He struck the, walk, the rock. The water came out of the rock, and so they leave this geographical area, this campground, if you will, and now they are headed to Mount Sinai. They don't get all the way to the foothills, if you will, or the base of the mountain. They're actually out there in the wilderness. It has been so awe, maybe uh, not awe-inspiring, but maybe a little bit um, humbling is whenever you get out there, especially in New Mexico, and you're heading in some of those Rocky Mountains, and you see the Rocky Mountains off in the distance, and you think, oh, that's just another two or three miles. And then two or three hours later, you still don't think you're any closer than when you were. Last winter when we were there at the Grand Tetons and, and you see the Tetons off in the distance, you're like, oh, we're almost there. And you drive and you drive and you drive and you drive. So this is the kind of idea that we're at. They can see Mount Sinai off in the distance, but they are miles and miles from Mount Sinai. Why? Because God is going to use this wilderness area as a time of preparation and as a time of getting them ready to meet God. So in chapter 19, that's what he's saying. He's saying this is where they're at. This is what they're doing. They're at the, the, before they get to the base of the mountain, they're out there in the wilderness. And this is where it picks up then in verse 3. Let me go back up to verse 2. <coughs> there Israel encamped before the mountain. And while Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, So as God begins to prepare them and begins to tell them what they need to do to prepare, God gives us, or God shows them, shows us some different steps of preparation that we need to take. And the first step we see here in these few verses that I just read, is that that we need to come to God on His terms. That we come to God on His terms. You notice as as Moses there, it says the Lord God called to him. This is back up in verse 3. The Lord God called to him out of the mountain and says... What does he say? Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall. And then he says again in verse 6, you shall. Again at the last part of verse 6, you shall. So what God is saying is, is that if you will do what I tell you to, and if you will do the way I tell you to do it, And you know that you come to me not based upon what you think, not based upon your terms, but you come to me based upon my voice and my covenant. That is verse 5. In other words, I put there in your notes that when we come to God on his terms, we understand that it's God that sets the standards. That it's God that sets the standards for right or wrong. It's God that sets the standards for true or false. It's God that sets the standards for sin or faithfulness. It's God that sets the standards. And so we come to God and we prepare to meet God. We understand that we're coming to God on his terms. And it is God who sets the standards and tells us how we should come to him or how we should not come to him. And right there in verse five, God is telling Moses and he says, Moses, tell the people, you're out here in the wilderness of Sinai. You're getting ready to come to the Mount of Sinai. You're getting ready to see in the days ahead. You're going to see the manifestation of my presence. You're going to see all of these things. But when you come to me, I am holy. I am other than. I am magnificent. I am nothing like you have ever seen or ever imagined before. And when you come to me, you don't come to me as I am your homeboy. I am the old man upstairs. I am somebody that you can treat like anybody else. I am God. And when we come to God, we come to God on His terms because He sets the standards and then also you see there in verse 5 that He defines obedience. Look back at verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. He doesn't say that you will obey the voice of popular opinion. He doesn't say that you will obey the voice of popular reasoning. He doesn't say that you will obey the voice of yourself. He doesn't say that you will obey the voice of your neighbor or obey the voice of your cynical school teacher. Or obey the voice of your pastor. Or obey the voice of your grandma or your grandpa. He says, obey my voice because God sets the standards. God defines obedience. And then when you know that God sets the standards and he defines obedience, you also realize This is verse five and six. That God knows whose are His. That's why He says, "If you obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be a treasured possession. You shall be to Me a kingdom of priests." All the words, these, all these words that I tell you, you shall speak. When we understand that we come to God on His terms, then it really doesn't matter what I think or what you think. It matters what God thinks, and we've got to be careful we got to be careful because so many times in life when we're having conversations, and especially when we're having conversations about spiritual matters, it's so easy for you and I to start the conversation, well, I think, well, I think, well, I think. Now, as long as what you're thinking is informed by Scripture, carry on, power to you. But there's many times we will start to say, I think. And then when someone says, where are you getting that from? Then you get defensive. Then you get all offended. And then you start getting that bottom loop And you start saying, well, why are they not listening to me? And why are they not paying attention to me? Because as much as I love you, as much as you're supposed to love me, if what you're saying is not based upon Scripture, then you're wasting your breath and I'm wasting my time. So he says we come to God on his terms. We come to God on his terms, and so that's what he says to Moses. He says, make sure, and you tell the people, when they are coming to me, and they are preparing to meet me, and I am preparing them to meet me, understand that you are going to come to me on my terms. You do not dictate how I will meet with you. You do not control how I will meet with you. You have no place to make demands upon God on how how God will come to you. God makes it very clear. One of the things that aggravates me about <coughs> sports sometimes is the subjectivity of sports. And especially nowadays where you have all the cameras and all the angles and all the electronics. Let's say, for instance, like baseball. So you got this pitcher up there, and this pitcher's throwing these balls, and you got one umpire, and he's behind the catcher, and he's back there, and he's watching it. And he is using his, his idea of what the strike zone should be to identify what is a strike and what isn't a strike. Yes? So you'll sit there, and you, once upon a time, once upon a time, they didn't have all the electronics, they didn't have all the camera angles, they didn't have all that stuff. And so therefore, no one could really question, well, now they've got all the electronics and all the angles, and so they will, they will, they will use that to then look and say whether it's a strike or not. And now, 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 you can even challenge the pitch. I think this is what Evan's trying to get me to remember. They can even challenge the pitch, and they'll go back up to the booth where they will look at the camera angles to determine whether it's a strike or whether it's a ball. Then you think about wiffle ball. I know what wiffle ball is? Oh, I, I've never played it, but it looks like I, something I could get into. Slow, easy, not really competitive, something that I think I could really get into. It's not pickleball. Pickleball is more like tennis, all right, at a slower pace. Wiffle ball is similar to baseball, but in wiffle ball, you actually have a rectangular object that sits behind, and then that, that when the pitcher throws the ball, as long as the ball hits the rectangular object it's a strike if it doesn't hit the rectangle It's not a strike. So it's very clear to know whether it's a strike or a ball because if it hits it, it's a strike. If it doesn't hit it, it's not a strike. Does that make sense? So you don't have the subjectivity. Well, sometimes when we come to the things of God, we come to God with a baseball mentality. We go and we say, God, well, I'm going to tell you that based upon my context and based upon my experience and based upon my opinion and based upon what I think, this should be right and wrong. And God comes in and says, no, it's very clear. If the ball hits the rectangle It's a strike. And that's what God's word does. And God's word, because when we come to him, we come to him on his terms. So notice how the story continues. Verse 7. So Moses came, and he called the elders of the people and set them before them. All these words the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear and and people may hear when I speak with you. and may also believe you forever. So where does the story continue? Well, God calls Moses up and says, All right, Moses, if these people will come to me on my terms, I will show them favor. I will show them blessings. So Moses comes out. He gathers all the elders together. And he says, all right, guys, this is what God said to do. And if you look back up there in verse 8, they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So the first step when we're preparing to come to God is we come to God on his terms. The second step is we understand that we are to submit to his word. That we submit to his word. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, notice back up in verse 7. Moses came called the elders, and what does it say? And he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Moses doesn't come down and say, hey guys, I've got an idea. Hey guys, me and Joshua, we've had a brainstorming session and this is what we think. Hey guys, me and the elders, we got together and we had a planning session, a vision meeting, and this is what we think. Now Moses comes and says, this is what God said. This is what God has said. Do you understand that we today have God's word? Now, what's significant about Exodus 19 is that up until that point, they didn't have God's Word. Now, how did they have God's Word? Yeah, well, God spoke to Adam. God spoke to Eve. God spoke to other ones. And so they had the stories. They had the reports. They had the uh, uh, campfire stories, if you will, of how God had spoke. Moses can say, hey, I met with the burning bush on top of the mountain, and this is what God said to the burning bush. But up until this point, they did not have a completed, revealed canon of Scripture, a Bible in front of them. So they didn't have. So they were reliant upon other people telling them what God said. Today, you and I are in a different setting because today, you and I can have a Bible. A Bible that's written in a language that we can read. A Bible that's written in a, ra- written in a way that we can understand. A Bible in a format that, con- that is conducive to how we learn and how we understand and read Scripture. You and I can have everything that we can imagine in order for us to not only have God's Word, but to read God's Word. And so when we think about what is God's Word, and so Moses comes to them in verse 7, and he sets before them all of these words, and then in verse 8, they answered together and said, all that the Lord has said we will do. It's akin to the idea of them coming and saying, this is what God's Word says, and this is what we're going to do. It's not just a matter that we can have God's Word, but as a church, we understand that we can know God's Word. See, it's one thing to possess God's Word. It's another thing to know God's Word. And some of you all have this thing called the Bible. And quite honestly, on Sunday mornings, you have to look for it because you don't know where it's at because you don't remember where you placed it after you got home from church the last Sunday. And we have this thing called the Bible, and it's, I've heard one preacher or one person talk about it. You probably heard before basic instructions before leaving earth. I, I've heard people talk about this idea of the Bible, and, and yet, and yet, so many times we have it, but we don't think about it. Which is why I put there in your notes: possession plus the knowledge of God's word does not equal submission to God's Word. Just because you know that this is God's Word and just because you have God's Word doesn't mean we're going to submit to God's Word. So part of preparation is, part of these steps of preparation is submitting to God's Word. And that's not the same as having God's Word or not the same as knowing about God's Word. There is a submission piece of you and I then putting God's Word into practice in our lives. Let me, th- let me put, it like to you, put it to you like this. Early in our marriage, and I bought about this computer desk. And that's one of those cheaper end style of computer desks that you buy at Walmart or Sam's Club or something else. And they always have it displayed in the picture. It always looks so awesome in the picture. And you're like, I can just imagine myself having a little home office set up. And, man, I'll, I'll have it all together. And then in the small print there of the picture, it says some assembly required. You've all seen those pictures before. So you spend your money, your 200 bucks, whatever it is, you buy the desk. They load up this cardboard box that has supposed to have had all the pieces inside of it. You bring all that box home. You get there in the house and you bring the box and you set it up. You, you, you take it to the room where you're going to sit at the desk. And what do we as guys do? We open up the box and we start looking at what all is in there, right? Now, 99.9999% of the time inside the box there is going to be a collection of papers, And in those papers is printed step-by-step instructions that somebody that doesn't speak English very well has spent a lot of time trying to articulate how you put this item together so that it will function in the way that the picture showed it. Tracking? So what happens? Most guys, they look at that thing of instructions and they're like, hmm, I have the picture, I have the material, I think I can put this thing together which is what I do, okay? I do. Confession is not good for the reputation, but it's good for the soul, okay? I do. That's the thing that I do. I think I can figure it out. And then what do I end up getting myself into? I end up getting myself into three-fourths into the construction and the assembly and finding out that I missed step number one F, And I've got to go all the way back from step 33 all the way back to 1F so that I can correct that so then step 34 works the way that it's supposed to. Amen? So what am I doing right there? What I am doing is is I am showing what it is like to have possession of the materials, to have knowledge that there are instructions with the materials to know that those instructions help me put together the materials in the way that the creator designed for it to be the problem is that i am not willing to submit to the instructions so that i find myself in a state of dysfunction which is where we are at as a society Today, we have the instructions from God. We have all the things that God has equipped us with and supplied us with to live faithfully before him. But because we do not apply the instructions from God with the material and the blessings from God, we find ourselves in a state of dysfunctionality as a society. Now, how do we break free from the dysfunctionality of a society? We go back and we follow the instructions from the Creator. So what God is wanting to remind them here in this set of verses is, it's not just enough to come to God on His terms, but you are to submit to God's Word. That is paramount. It supersedes anything that I would have to say into your hearing. It supersedes anything that you might be able to find in print from an extra-biblical source or from a secular source. It supersedes any preacher you might listen to on the radio or television. It supersedes your experience. It supersedes your background. It supersedes your opinions. It all comes down to what does God's Word say? So here in verse 8, as Moses is telling the people, the people say, you tell God, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. So you get down there into verse, the last part of verse 9, and we see this third step. And this third step, God not only says, number one, come to him on his terms. Number two, we submit to God's word. And then number three, as we're going to see, we prepare for him. We don't prepare for ourselves. We don't prepare for a certain event. We don't prepare for others. We prepare for Him. So part of this preparation is, is what are we getting ready for? We are getting ready for God. Look back up there in verse 9, the last part of verse 9. It may be a new paragraph in your copy of God's Word. But it says, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. We'll come back to that. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for all the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. What is going on? God says, I want you to understand that what you are preparing for is you're preparing for me. So if you're going to prepare for me, that means you do it my way. And so he says up there in verse 10 and again in verse 14, he uses this word consecrate. Now, it's not a word that we use a lot in our English vocabulary today, but this idea of consecrate means, as I put there in your notes, to set apart, to purify, to dedicate, something. It's the idea that it is now set apart to God. So in the practical sense, what it would be like, Moses would come down and said, hey, you all are getting ready to meet God, so you all need to get ready. So what they would do is they'd go out and they'd wash behind their ears and they'd wash their hair and they'd trim their fingernails. And they'd wash their clothes. They'd get their clothes set up nice. They'd make sure and clean and scrub and whitewash down their tents. And they'd make sure all their stuff is prepared. And they'd make sure all their, all their jewelry and everything is all shiny and neat. And they would make sure that they were as ready as possible to meet the Lord, I think about it in a military sense when they would have class or the the class A inspection. And so the idea was all of these soldiers would get down there in their dress, dress, uniform, and they'd have all their buttons and all their fancy and all the ribbons and all the the shiny stuff on there. And you would all be in formation. Here would come the commander. And they would have a ruler and they would have this. And they would say, that's not shiny enough. That is tarnished. That's not centered. That's not the right measurement. And they would just come and criticize us and pick us apart. And they would look. So the idea is that we would consecrate ourselves to make ready for inspection. So here in the text, God says, here's how you make ready. So he tells them, you will wash. This is back up in verse 10. Wash their garments. Verse 11, get ready. You have three days or two days to get ready because on the third day, God is going to come. And you see there, if you read all the way from verse 9 down through verse 15, you realize that there are things that God is instructing them, things that we do. And what do we do? We wash, we make ready, we prepare. But just as much as there's things that we do, there's also things that we don't do. What do we not do? We don't do the things that are disobedient to God. That's why he says, don't come up and touch the mountain. This is verse 12. Don't come and touch the mountain. If you come and you touch the mountain, you will die. God has set standards. God has set limits. God has set definition of what it means to be obedient. So there are things that you do and there's things that you don't do. This translates into our world today because so many times when it comes time for church, some of us spend more time preparing for what we're going to do after church than we do preparing for church. And we will come and we will will present ourselves and Every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, every single time you gather with God's people or you gather just to worship God, there are things that you should do and there's things that you should not do. So he tells them, part of getting ready is knowing what to do and what not to do. You know, historically speaking, the reason why the church Sunday morning church service is around 10 or 11 o'clock is because in an agricultural setting, those farmers had to have time in the morning to not only get their morning chores done on their farm or the respective place, but then also have time to then get cleaned up and then get to church. And in that historical agricultural setting, most of your farmers did not have eye watches on their wrist, and so they weren't really sure how to tell time, so... <coughs> That's why you have the bells and the bell steeple was because when the time for church would happen, they would start ringing the bells and so the agricultural people, farmers, ranchers, whoever it was, far and wide in the countryside could hear the bells off in the distance and know that it's time to go to church. And what would they do? They would get themselves ready. They would make preparations. They would do the things to come and present themselves to God. And I realize it's an outdated idea. But once upon a time, people made preparations to go to church they made preparations spiritually they made preparations physically they made preparations to come and meet god now i'm not trying to i'm not trying to allude to a dress code i'm not trying to allude to a personal grooming style but at the same time brothers and sisters we have to ask ourselves when we come to church what are we coming to church for are we coming to church to be seen are we coming to church just to check a box are we coming to church just out of guilt are we coming to church to meet God and I don't think it's a matter of what kind of clothes you wear I think it's more a matter of the condition of your heart And I think it's more of a condition of what are we coming to do? Are we coming so that Greg and those that serve with him can sing into our ears and we can sing songs and we can go through the motions and then you can sit here and struggle to stay awake while I am talking to you for 45 minutes or whatever it is? I mean, what are we preparing to do? When we come in here, it's not about Greg and it's not about me. It's not about anybody else in this church. It's about we are coming to meet God. There should be some preparation when it comes to us coming to meet God. Is God at your house? Yes. Is God at the lake? Yes. Is God at the bowling alley? Yes. Is God at your workplace? Yes. So, what's so special about being here? There is something set apart about God, about people coming to the place that is recognized to be a place of sanctification, a place of Holiness, a place that is set apart to God. That's why you go to the New Testament and you see where they would come. When they come to the temple, in the New Testament picture, they would come to the temple and there would be a difference in the way they look. There would be a difference in the way they act. There would be a difference in the way they carry themselves. There would be a difference in the way of their conduct. So I'm not trying to set a dress code. But I am saying that based upon... The picture we have in Scripture, God expected them to prepare to come and meet Him, and those things included what they did, and those things included what they didn't. So it begs the question from you and I: How are we preparing to come and meet with God? So we talk about the three core values of the church: build families, teach the Bible and be the church. So then how do we take a passage like this, chapter 19, verses 1 through 15, how do we take a passage like this and plug it in to the application grid, if you will, of thinking about how does this then apply to the life of the church today? How do we think about that today? Well, as we think about the preparation, we think about the three steps of preparation, coming to God on his terms, coming to God and by submitting to his word, and coming to God by preparing to meet with him, we understand that there are applications then for our homes, the first idea that I would have to give you is that we, as a church, have an opportunity to teach our homes and to train our homes the difference between tomorrow and eternity. i put there in your notes, tomorrow versus eternity. We have an opportunity to teach them and to show them there is a difference between tomorrow and eternity. So many times, we are more fixated as a culture and as a society and even more fixated as a church on preparing people to make money and preparing people to be successful in the eyes of the Lord or eyes of the world and to go out and to be productive citizen, but we're not preparing them for the eternity of fearing God. So one of the ways that we help build families is we teach our families and we show our families and we encourage our families and we support our families. To not only to teach this in the home, but to teach this to the children, the difference between tomorrow and eternity. Because we have an opportunity not just to teach and prepare and train our kids for tomorrow, but we have a responsibility to teach and prepare and train them for eternity. And when we are teaching and preparing our families for eternity, it makes a difference on what we do Tomorrow. Secondly, when we think about then how does this affect, impact how we teach the Bible? Well, we understand that it's not man's opinion, it's God's word. Or I put there in your notes, God's word versus man's opinion. We understand that there is a difference. And when it comes to the church, we're not up here just teaching what sounds good. Recently, I was at a service in a different religious denomination. And it struck me, the speaker got up, and he opened up God's Word. And he read two or three verses out of God's Word. And then he did this, and he opened up his notes, and he began to speak. Now, I'm not making a judgment call in the heart of the person. I'm just saying that what it signified to me was, we're going to set this aside and now we're going to focus on this. Lord, help us if we think that as human beings we have something more of value to offer the people of God than the word of God. God, help us if we think That our opinions are of more value and of greater importance than the word. Of God, God help us when we begin to elevate our experiences and my ideas and my thoughts and my philosophies and my ideologies. And Lord, help me if I begin to think it matters more what I think than what God thinks. And so when it comes time for us to teach the Word of the church, understand that here in this text, God said, Moses, it's not about what you think, it's about what I think. It's not about what you say, it's about what I say. It's not a matter about what people think or what their experience or Egypt or anything. It matters what God's word says, and we must teach the people the difference between God's word and man's opinion. And then this last one, <coughs> excuse me, God's word defines our identity. So when we think about how does this impact us being the church, we understand that God's word defines our identity. So here in Exodus 19, God comes to the people and says, this is how you're going to prepare to meet me. Why? Not because you're going to Egypt, not because you're going to Assyria, not because you're going to Nineveh, not because you're going to the Amalekites or the Edomites. You are coming to me, and so therefore when you are coming to me, you are going to look different, talk different, act different, and be different because of me. So when it comes time to the things of God, God's word then identifies who we are. And so many times our identity is based upon a reputation. or identity is based upon a background. Our identity is based upon the appearance of other people. And he says God's word defines our identity. So where do we get our identity from in this word? We are consecrated people of God. We are obedient people to God's word. We are submissive to the things of God. We are sensitive to the holiness of God. And we are people coming to God on God's terms. So, Exodus 19, God comes into Moses and says, get ready. You get ready and you get the people ready. So now here you are in June of 2023. And I'm wondering, what are you doing to get ready to meet God? Are you coming to God on his terms? Are you submitting to his word? Are you preparing to meet God? He tells us in this word, in the gospels, Jesus says that no one knows the hour, not even Jesus, only God himself. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that there will be a day the trumpet will sound when angels shout and God will appear Jesus will appear in the heavens and he'll rapture his church to himself are you ready and prepared to stand before God would you bow your heads with me